having the capacity to um, be re-energized, to um, have strength to keep going on, but as well to reintegrate, to think better, to respond better, is all a part of, of being resilient. And that was not so much a crisis of, of quitting ministry, but it was how do I continue to minister well in my mm. church setting when my wife needs so much of me and my ministry to her, which has to be first. Mm -hmm. Central to our response to these events in our lives, uh, I think, are the relationships that we foster. Hey everybody, I want to welcome you again to the Before You Quit podcast where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard. And man, does it get hard sometimes. That is why we do what we do here on these Before You Quit podcasts. And I would encourage you again to go to our website, www.beforeyouquit.us. And we are up to almost uh, 46, I think, podcasts and many, many blogs on different issues related to the challenges and the pressures of ministry. By the way, my name is Mitch Schultz, and I am your host today and every time these podcasts come out. And uh, this is what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to talk about what to do when ministry becomes disorienting, or what I like to refer to as knowing the difference between up from down in ministry. And we're going to be getting some help in this conversation in just a few minutes from Dr. Phil Howard, who's a professor at my alma mater at Toccoa Falls College, and also another good friend, Jeff Gangle, Pastor Jeff Gangle, who was formerly the campus pastor at Toccoa Falls College, and now he is the senior pastor at a church in Canton, Georgia, or near Canton, Georgia. Uh, let me set this up, though, with an analogy that I think will help us uh, enter into this conversation about disorienting in ministry. Uh, I'm a pilot, and one of the things that I had to learn early on in my training was how to recover from a situation in flying called spatial disorientation, which is uh, defined as the inability of a person to correctly determine his or her body position in space. And uh, so what the instructor would do was put a hood, literally a pair of sunglasses with a cover over your eyes where you could not look out, you could just look at your instruments, and he would put the airplane into uh, just a funny, distorted kind of position, they had no idea what he was doing, and then I was supposed to recover from that. Uh, well, it, and this, this is the sort of thing that, uh, that happens quite often. In fact, it's believed that J, uh, JFK's son, uh, John F. Kennedy Jr., uh, as he was flying from the south back up to New England, that uh, that's how his plane went down. Uh, just a little interesting fact there. Uh, so spatial disorientation happens when you're flying under certain conditions, whether it's cloudy and you can't distinguish the orientation of the airplane, uh, from uh, because, because everything is white outside. And, and it can also happen, and this has happened to me several times, and it's eerie, and that is when you're flying over water on a clear blue sky day and you can't distinguish the sky from the water. And uh, you can actually be flying upside down and think you're right side up. And uh, again, this happened to me once when we were living in Wisconsin. I was flying... Uh, into Lake Michigan, not the lake, but towards the open lake. And I had this moment where I panicked and could not tell what was the lake and what was the sky. So I had to quickly orient myself to the instruments in front of me. 
And if you lose control as a pilot, you, you enter into this frightening thing called spatial disorientation. And again, it's, it's actually possible to be flying upside down, and it seems impossible, but it's possible to be flying upside down and think you're right side up. Uh, or you're flying at a rapid speed down, but you think you're maintaining altitude or even climbing. And again, there's been many tragedies over this. But that's not what the podcast is about. This is an illustration. And uh, again, in this case, the only way to recover uh, or avoid having this happen is you, you lock your eyes uh, on the instruments. You trust your instruments. The way to avoid spatial disorientation is to trust your instruments despite what all the external indicators are telling you. And I've seen this in ministry, and uh, I've seen it many, many times in my own life, and I've seen others come close to seeing it. Uh, I've come close to seeing in my own life where it's possible to lose orientation. You forget why you're doing what you're doing, and everything looks off. Up is down, down is up, and it can be, it can be frightening. And this is the time in ministry where we have to lock our eyes on our instruments and trust them. Uh, We fasten our eyes again on why Jesus called us, on the reason we're doing this, on the gospel. Despite what all your external indicators are saying, you're locked into this commitment to the gospel on the Great Commission, which drives everything you do. Uh, So to help us understand this better, uh, what resilience in ministry can look like, especially when there's disorientation in ministry, uh, I'm going to be talking with Dr. Phil Howard, who is the professor of ministry leadership and spiritual formation at Toccoa Falls College, and uh, also uh, had served as the chair of the ministry and leadership department, and, um, and also has become a good friend. We've been collaborating together in a number of projects, and we have also involved Jeff Gangle, Pastor Jeff Gangle, in this. And it's just, it was just a lot of fun to have the three of us sit down and, and at times laugh, at times have a serious talk about uh, how to recover when things become disorienting in your life. I am here in the conference room of uh, First Lions Church in Tacoa, sitting in chairs that I think are too small for the table, but what can we do about that, right? It's cushy. <laughs> are you comfortable? <laughs> yeah. Good. Uh, we've got uh, Phil Howard and Jeff Gangle here, and uh, tell me, tell us really quickly what you guys do. Uh, I'll, I guess I'll start. Uh, you already have. So currently, I'm a professor of ministry leadership at Tacoa Falls College uh, here in, in Tacoa, Georgia. Uh, many years of, of church pastoral leadership um uh, you know prior you, you passed her how many years before you you went to uh, that's one of those spontaneous questions <laughs> yeah, i'd have to do right. the math it was probably <laughs> uh, somewhere uh, around 17 years okay. i think yeah. yeah and what i like about what you bring to the conversation we're going to be talking about resilience and ministry you know what is it that makes people resilient and, and handle uh tough you know seasons in ministries you've had the experience had a few pastorally yeah. and and you've also been in the <laughs> academic so yep. yeah jeff what about you what are you doing right now i'm lead pastor at trinity church in marble hill georgia and in that's near canton georgia right that's, that's near uh, canton yeah. uh jasper mm-hmm. right on the foothills of yep. the smokies there yep. as well in the mountains okay. and been there not quite two years okay and you were here at Tacoa Falls College for how many years and what did you do? 17 years. 17 years. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what were you? You were the campus, campus pastor. Campus pastor, right? director of spiritual formation, 
and other odds and ends. <laughs> yeah, okay. And pastor okay. of Campus Community Church when that was on the campus of the college. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, you guys are both qualified to talk on this, and and you know we the the history we have here is Phil, you were doing a sabbatical research, and mm-hmm. we connected that way. In fact, you were interviewing me for that, and uh, you know you, I think you'd interviewed about fifteen people in that mm-hmm. in that yeah. process, and. Uh, so and then uh, Jeff, you've joined us in, in the last year, really collaborating on on doing some. We'll talk about that in a little bit what that's going to look like. But we're in, mm-hmm. involved in an initiative to be a little bit more intentional and organized in providing leader care. Um, let, let's uh, let me just jump right in here with a direct question to both of you, uh, Phil. What what has resilience looked like in your ministry in your life? And and if you could define what we mean by that word resilience. If I can start with what it's looked like and then maybe dabble a little mm-hmm. bit with, an, uh, with a, a kind of a, some sort of a definition. I don't know that I knew the term uh, or used it at all until I was on my sabbatical four mm-hmm. years ago. And uh, so I think up until that time, resilience, if I say it looked like, um, something it was uh, just a, a sense that if I was going to do whatever it was that I was doing um, for the long term, um, I was going to have to take care of myself mm-hmm. and to understand that self-care was a good thing. It wasn't being selfish. Um, in fact, there's an article in the most recent journal of spiritual formation and soul care that is entitled soul care or self-care is soul care and so i think recognizing that uh, this is a good thing and as the phrase goes it's good for our soul so exercise learning to exercise learning to eat smart um, those kinds of things evolved over the course of uh, several years of my life and um, just recognizing that if i was going to have energy um, and I wanted to do what I did and to do it well, um, that it was going to involve that. Yeah. And again, I didn't call it resilience. I wasn't familiar with the term at all. But you were conscious of the fact that, particularly in tough seasons, that if, yeah. if you didn't handle it well, it reflected off maybe a poor uh, self-care. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So how would you define it? How would you define now, it? Now I see it as a, as in, in eight. In other words, I think it, <clears throat> this is a God given thing, mm-hmm. um, God given quality of being human, but it is also a quality of being uh, that we can, uh, that we can develop. Um, it's a re-energizing and reintegrating response to to difficulty in our life. So, uh, yeah, in those difficult times, which we'll, I know we'll talk about in a little bit here, uh, in those moments that are really, really hard uh, in our life and in our 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 service, um, having the capacity to um, be re-energized to um, have strength to keep going on, but as well to reintegrate, to think better, to mm-hmm. respond better, uh, is all a part of, of being resilient. The popular idea is that it's the capacity to bounce back mm-hmm. uh, from some sort of difficulty. And I think it's more than that. We don't bounce back. We come back different people mm-hmm. from some of those life circumstances. And that's where resilience really yeah, because we, we see people, and, and we've probably had this this uh, in our lives too, we see people that 
you know, they face a really, really hard time in ministry, whether it's attack or criticism uh, or, or a crisis of some kind. And, and some handle it really well. It's mm-hmm. like they're not affected by it. Others are, are devastated by it. And so what we're wanting to do here is, is to really understand what is the difference between those two things because people are going to continue to face difficult circumstances mm-hmm. and we want them to do well. We want them to be healthy. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, we come at this with the assumption that you know, the best way to, to be stretched and to be deepened is, is probably by going through hard times. You, know, you can't escape those. <clears throat> so, uh, so Jeff, what about you? What, what has it looked like in your life? Uh, you know, it's funny because it... Talk about I, bouncing back. Well, yeah, <laughs> but I think of the even more simpler, uh, simple definition uh, from a plaque that my dad gave me when I was just a kid. And I remember it hanging in my room. It was said, don't quit. That was the yeah. name of the yeah. poem. I, mm-hmm. I couldn't recite it for you, but it was a pretty famous, I guess, poem. And so um, that I think that characterizes this idea of if I'm in something, I'm committed to something, I'm just I'm not going to quit. Mm-hmm. So, But it's resilience is more than just a commitment to not quit. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, there has to start there, I think, mm-hmm. with that. I've got to find reasons not to quit. Mm-hmm. And I think the other is just an, uh, an awareness that even if you're in ministry, you know, sometimes we think that's different than other jobs. So, you know, but everybody has those days mm-hmm. in their job when they consider quitting. It's like, mm-hmm. surely there's something else I could do other than this. And, but that happens to pastors and Christian leaders too. Mm-hmm. And so we have to acknowledge that, that that's going to come, that's going to happen. So what is it, the resilience, I think, focus on, what is it that helps me come to that point rather than just a determination not to quit? Yeah. I mean, that's great to have that determination. Yeah, that can sometimes just defer right. the Christ mm-hmm. right. dealing right. with right. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what is it in me and what is it that God's given me, put in me, that can help me yeah. move to that point of not quitting and continuing on and actually growing through the difficulty rather than just surviving? So it. you've had so. moments where you've wanted to quit? Oh yes. What you're doing. <laughs> oh yes. Yeah. yeah, there were moments when I was pastoring when I literally wanted to become a truck driver mm. and just be on the road. And I had this affinity with San Antonio, Texas, and that I would draw. I would be over the over. I'm sorry, over the road truck driver to um, San Antonio, Texas, and then back again to upstate New York. So, yeah. So yeah, that was, we know what that's when like. When you were stressed, yeah. that was your That go-to. was my default Just climb in the cabin. Right? That's right. Get the yep. road. Just yep. drive, escape, yep. right? <laughs> yeah. Well, when you're talking about not quitting, I, I've, I've heard of this really well-done podcast called Before You Quit. Well, there you <laughs> to help, So people should listen to that. Yeah, good, uh, I didn't prepare you guys for this, but I think you're – probably expecting me to ask questions. What, what's the hardest thing you've gone through in ministry? I, I think, yeah, yeah, I think for me, well, two, can I give two things? Absolutely. Totally different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One, Phil can only get a, give a half. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that one is just a, a situation, get into detail, but a situation where I felt like I was failing mm. in ministry mm. and uh, wasn't accomplishing what I wanted to see people walk away that I, I was engaged with and and was missing that I thought it was something in me a problem with Mm -hmm. with me that was causing that disconnect and that break of those relationships so that was definitely a low point Hmm. and I remember sitting down with my family and just talking through it and praying through it together and that was really a point of crisis Hmm. for me I think Mm -hmm. in terms of saying am I going to stay in this or not well and then the other was was totally different health crisis in 2013 when Beth went through a cancer battle Mm -hmm. and that was 
not so much a crisis of, of quitting ministry, but it was how do I continue to minister well in my mm. church setting when my wife needs so much of me and my ministry to her, which has mm-hmm. to be first. Mm-hmm. So that created a conflict in a sense that I'd never experienced before. Mm-hmm. Phil, if you're with your experience in, in this, what, how would you help someone that's going through something similar to what Jeff is sharing to encourage them towards resilience? Well, he already hit on part of it, and that was his family, his wife mm-hmm. in particular. So I think our marriages are crucial in, in this process. More broadly uh, would be relationships, and we'll talk about that mm-hmm. more, I'm pretty sure, as we go through all of this. But central to our response to these events in our lives, uh, I think, are the relationships that we foster. And it, it certainly involves our marriage, our family, but also people in our church, uh, other pastors. But having a um, well-defined network of uh, relationships is absolutely crucial to health, to resilience, to our our own capacity to grow. Yeah, community is important. It's a, it's, the, it's it's indispensable. Know. Yeah, I I helped a pastor a couple of years ago who was going through a hard time. One of the things we identified was that he never shared with his wife what he what he was mm-hmm. going through mm-hmm. uh, because he felt like he needed to protect her yeah. from mm-hmm. that. And this might be a little over dramatic to put it this way, but when he was able to begin, uh, you know, opening up with his wife and letting her speak back into him, uh, his perspective on on the, the hardship in ministry mm-hmm. changed. The, the the stuff didn't change. The perspective changed, yeah. mm-hmm. and uh, and that's been huge to me. You know, mm-hmm. when I talk to people who are in crisis, uh, you can't change what's going on a lot of times. I mean, you can. There's some mm-hmm. things you can change. But a lot of it is how you're viewing it, and that's what mm-hmm. you know. Your determination mm-hmm. not to quit, I think, gave you a, a, an open door to view it uh, in a in a different way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to let people in too, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. that's what changed in yeah. that second yeah. instance I described yeah. when going through Beth's health crisis was um, we needed the church in a way we never had mm-hmm. before in mm-hmm. our church family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'd always been the caretakers, the givers, and mm. part of you know that's the ministry leadership role. So now all of a sudden. We need, and we'd only been at that church less than a year mm. when this crisis mm. hit. So mm. we had just been beginning to develop how, how those did relationships. They do? The church did amazing. How right? did you receive it? Well, <laughs> it was hard at first, although that was really critical because right at the beginning we said, we're not going to keep this behind the scenes. We're going to let the church in yeah. on our struggle right from day one, which we did. Yeah. And which is a little risky. It but, is risky. Yeah. Yeah. So we shared that at the beginning. We asked the elders to be praying mm. to pray for us. and annoying us and right from the start we said we need our church family so thankfully i think that was the best decision we made Mm -hmm. in that because Mm -hmm. and then one of one of the most obvious ministry points i can even remember beth and i talk about this often we had a cooler on our front porch we just the church said just keep it filled with ice and food will show up in your cooler oh my goodness and it did And, and that was huge in terms of just providing mm. god provided sometimes we didn't even know who'd put whatever mm. was there in the cooler mm-hmm. i think Hopefully there were ra- i think there were ravens that brought the food yeah they, <laughs> they were god's ravens for sure. <laughs> wow phil what about you what's what are as you reflect on some of the harder things yeah there were there is similarly with jeff there'd be two that i could very specifically point to and the details aren't all that important other than to say that um 
In the first, uh, I made a pretty significant misstep uh, in how I responded to um, some internal workings of uh, the organization which I was I was serving. Uh, I was working with special needs adolescent young adults, mm-hmm. and some staff came to me and had some complaints about uh, how things were being run administratively and so on, and and without their permission. Um, I broached that subject during one of our staff meetings with the administrator mm. there, and it, not surprisingly, did not go over yeah. well. <laughs> and um, I had only been there a couple of months. I had just started to um, to serve as an educator with special needs students, and um, I from that day on, I think I knew that um, I had made a really poor decision of judgment and. Um, I, I only lasted another year and a mm, half after mm. that. So I, almost uh, irreparable. So it really, sense, I think yeah. it was, it had reached that point. Um, and then secondly, I accepted a position that uh, really was not a good fit for me. Mm. Um, I'm much more of a, uh, you know, of a pastor than I am an administrator, and the responsibility in higher education involved administrative uh, role, and, and I it was not at all a good fit. And so... Um, served there uh, for about four years, but it was it was a rough season. Mm-hmm. And I, so it, then that's where actually that second experience, um, uh, again sparing some of the details, but uh, my default pattern when I'm under stress is to back away, mm. um, and uh, began doing that. And it's counterintuitive to my personality and to my temperament, mm. but um, I was not. Uh, reaching out to other people. Mm. Um, I was closing in, um, even with my relationship with my wife. And um, it took a while for me to move past that and begin Mm. to contact some other folks and ask, what would you do? How were you? How did you handle similar circumstances? So I guess I go back to the issue of relationships. And um, it, it is often perhaps counterintuitive for us when we're in real stress and real difficulty to reach out to others. But that's the the nature of resilience is that we find a way to to do that in ways that are really life-giving mm-hmm. for, for so, us as well as for the church or the organization mm-hmm. as in Jeff's mm-hmm. case. Did you figure that out yourself or did somebody finally well, say, Kathy, hey, Phil, you're pulling away? You yeah, know, Kathy was question. very much concerned. Yeah. yeah, she was the one that was pointing it out. I mean, I was aware of it, mm-hmm. but... You didn't know what to do with it, though. Uh, other than I know I should do something about mm-hmm. it, but what, what to do. And, and even having the energy to do it, which would be the other feature to this when we're in those kinds of moments. It takes energy simply to reach <clears> out to <throat> someone mm-hmm. And courage, because there's mm-hmm. risk, as yep. you said, Jeff, with your church. You know, I don't know how somebody's going to respond to that. Mm-hmm. So um, when that happened, that that was a turning, a significant turning point, and to the to the degree that it was life changing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I that was a life lesson that because that wasn't the last time that I'd been in difficulty, but I knew from that point on I needed to. To connect with did people. that did that lead you uh, then when you went to another ministry to nurture that early on that that uh, the yeah. importance of relationships yeah. so that you had that that well, base I've always that, been relational 
So that, okay. Okay, but, and that's why it was a counterintuitive okay. thing for me to back away. Okay. Okay. But most definitely, when we came here to Tacoa, mm-hmm. uh, that was part of the rationale for really trying to get connected. Yeah. And that's how Jeff and Beth and Kathy and I met, for mm-hmm. instance. And yeah. so that kind, those kinds of relationships became... Uh, indispensable for us. Yeah, and it's interesting, you know, the way you and I connected was through your yeah. sabbatical, which we'll talk a little bit, but a relationship came yeah. out of that, and there yeah. was there was tremendous healing on my part yeah. uh, there. Uh, Jeff, uh, this is a question we're going to ask a little later, but I'll ask it now since he brought it up. What's your go-to when you're under stress? Uh, man, it, it, for me, I just, I need to get outside. Hmm. <laughs> I, it's not bad. No, yeah. it's not. just don't do it in the middle of a sermon. <laughs> <laughs> Let's all open the windows and take a walk outside. But uh, He's, he drives a truck. You go outside. Yeah, <laughs> no, for me, that's what's most uh, uh, healing and uh, refreshing. I, I just, which is great being in North Georgia mountains, because mm-hmm. sometimes I'll just leave the office. And I'll go, there's a trail not far away, and I'll just go walk that trail for a while. So it's just so, half an hour So an hour. what is happening in that moment that is bringing about healing or perspective to you? What's happening when I get out on the trail? Yeah, I mean, what, yeah, well, why, how is that good for you doing that? It's uh, not just walking in the woods. There's something happening. Well, some of that is, is physical, okay. just okay. the fresh air okay. and, and right. sunshine yeah. and, and yeah. movement. So, mm. yes, I know mm. that. That's mm. good for me, and, and that helps me just in the physical sense. Mm-hmm. But it also is kind of head clearing in that it's usually just a time to talk to God mm-hmm. and uh, just get a refocus and, and uh, you know, what's most important. And that's when other things would begin to come. When I'm, at, when I'm in my office and I'm focused on something, usually I can't get away from that. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm stuck on that. But when I get outside, then that frees up other thoughts other directions other th- and, and I think my ears are more open to hear mm, what God wants to say to me too mm, so. mm. If, if I can bring us back to your question what I understood to be your question mm-hmm. well, if I can just bring us back to that if you don't do that Jeff if you don't mm-hmm. go out in the woods the, the default pattern issue for me is a negative response pattern when I use the word default my default pattern was is under stress to, to back away from other people that's a dysfunctional, unhelpful response pattern. Mm. Is there, what, what would be a default pattern for you when you're mm. stressed or... Uh, that's not healthy. Yeah, that's not healthy, mm. yeah, yeah. Yeah, probably very similar. It, okay. It's quiet, I'll, I'll kind of shut down. Yeah. Uh, not talk as much. Uh, I'll usually have negative self-talk within my head, and that's that's never good. Uh, So, yeah, I think that's what happens if I'm not dealing correctly with the stress, and I'll I'll internalize it. Okay, Hmm. yeah. If you were to ask me that, uh, which you what, what would you thank do? you, thank you for asking. Uh, well, the church I last pastored had a, a cemetery, literally in the backyard, huge cemetery. Mm. And I would, when I was stressed, or even when I needed just to take a break, I would yeah. walk around. But when I was stressed, I would, uh, I would imagine certain people in the grave, you know, that uh, were hard. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I did not. But uh, no, there was there was something about that that reminded me of of how short life is. Yeah. And that, that was very helpful. In fact, I, I would walk through the cemetery to get to our house. We lived mm. literally half a mile from our from the church. Yeah. 
And so I would often walk through there. And it just had a very calming effect. And I, again, I'm seriously joking. I never imagined anybody that I didn't like in, in the grave there. So what would have been your default pattern? Um, in a, in a I, my way. tendency is if I don't do that, and I, I, it doesn't happen often because I think I've developed, uh, particularly in the last church, which, which was my hardest church, mm-hmm. I, I developed some healthy patterns, okay. I think. Um, I think before that, the Lord protected me from, from being in a, in a yeah. hard situation <clears throat> ministry-wise. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would, like you said, I would close down. Yeah. And, and then I would, be, I would become sarcastic with people oh. and, uh, and snappy. And yeah. my, my turning point in my last church, and I've shared this a couple times in the podcast, uh, was I, I sent out an e- I, I had written something in my devotions that morning uh, from Hebrews 10 about people, you know, don't don't uh, give up meeting together as some mm-hmm. in the habit are doing. And I, I just, I wrote something about how, um, you know, how when pe- people in our congregation that were leaving the church, uh, how they were copping out. That uh, And I was doing it in a kind of a devotional fashion. And I said, you know, it's the easy thing to do is leave our church and go somewhere else. And about a half hour later, I got a call from our district superintendent. He said, Mitch, are you okay? Mm, yeah. <laughs> and he said, I got a copy of that email. Mm. Um, and, and that woke me up. And I, mm. my wife mm. and I, a week later, took three days, went to Fairhaven Ministry, which mm. is a rest place for pastors that just either need a break or need counseling. Mm. And we went there for three days, actually yeah. met with a counselor. And it, uh, it, that revived mm. my ministry. In mm. fact, the book I, wrote, I read... Uh, during that time, a book that was on the shelf, they were very purposeful material there in the yeah. chalets, mm-hmm. was called Before You Quit by Blaine Smith, oh, or Blaine mm-hmm. Allen. Mm-hmm. And of course, which is where I got the, I, I stole this title for this podcast. <laughs> now we did not ask permission. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's, uh, that, that was really healthy for mm-hmm. me. And, uh, and even now, I mean, if I, if I feel stressed, I, I love to, you know, we live on the lake. I love walking right. out there just... Yeah. Just sitting, doing nothing. You walk out on the lake. I walk on the lake. Yeah, that's that's. Uh, yeah, I, I, I tend to sink when I do. Uh, Phil, the the uh, sabbatical you did, which really was kind of the spark to all of this. Yeah. Um, what led you to that, and what was your burden with it? Explain yeah. a little bit what that research was. When I came to Tacoa um, to the college, not long after I was here I started getting emails and phone conversation phone calls from students who had graduated mm. uh, my being here and they obviously they were in their 20s and and um, across the board they were experiencing an unexpected hurdle in mm. their ministry mm. and um, some of them were already deciding to leave other than ministry entirely redefine it and uh, or go to a different place, and that spark. I started there. Just there's this pattern here, mm. and people early in ministry, early in their twenties. And so, yeah. what way back? What started this was my passion for uh, serving emerging adults, especially those that are in their twenties. Um, just w- how do we help them? And then it broadened to. Um, those of us that are in higher education and uh, those that serve as as educators in particular, uh, but then pastors as well and ministry leaders. And so I, I, there was this obvious, uh, just unmistakable uh, pattern of uh, whether it was anecdotal, um, you know, just stories of people that I heard that were leaving ministry or leaving their church or whatever, or reading broader data. And I just, this is, uh, 
uh, almost epidemic. Did you in, did in you nature. have the reaction because you were teaching many of these students that hey we're not covering this adequately here in the academic yeah very much context. so F- felt like and what is our role and knowing that that's how many graduates feel even at the master's mm-hmm. level that the master of divinity degree for instance uh, doesn't adequately prepare future ministry leaders in in this way how do, how do we care for ourselves do we care for ourselves mm-hmm. is that is that a uh, almost permissible theologically, mm. you know? So um, at the same time, really began uh, being intrigued with the notion of transformation, both theologically, that we are transformed in Christ. So theologically, what does that mean? Um, and also educationally, what does it mean to be um, transformed educationally? And so there's adult learning theory called transformational learning theory, and I began looking at that. So there are these many streams of influence uh, in my thinking and um, began zeroing in on um, how ministry leaders, I guess backing up, working on the assumption that um, if, even in Scripture that there's a pattern that Leaders in Scripture, every one of them went through life-changing difficulty. Mm-hmm. Not just hard things, but life-changing. Um, they were transformed, in, in a sense. And really seeing that pattern and wondering how that lines up with God's sovereignty, for instance. And so this began to uh, to mushroom, I guess, in a sense, conceptually for me. And really wanting to find out the the nugget for my sabbatical was to identify ministry leaders who had been in service for at least 15 years who are who are identified by people in their organization whether it's a church or faith-based nonprofit as transformational leaders and all of whom had gone through what uh, the literature referred to as a disorienting dilemma, um, a life experience in which their, their frame of reference, their values, their assumptions were called into question. Mm-hmm. And all of them had experienced that and uh, those kinds of experiences. And I wanted to, uh, I inquired into how they recovered and um, look for patterns mm-hmm. in their in in that process of, of you know of their recovery and um, so interviewing those individuals and absolutely humbled sobered by the the nature of some of the difficulty that mm. they experienced and that really brought about a deepening passion to not only help them and look for ways to help them but to similar to Jeff's experience, how how do we help churches be helping organizations mm-hmm. and uh, faith-based nonprofits as well? How do we help them to be helping organizations? And that's where my interests are really emerging now, uh, working with not only ministry leaders, but their organizations in creating uh, a structure mm-hmm. for um, for the health of the leader as well as the health of the organization. Yeah, what, what I liked about it when you interviewed me, and I, I got this sense quite quickly that this wasn't about you trying to understand uh, why, what, what brought me into that crisis, but what were some of the key elements that, that uh, 
pushed me through, that, mm-hmm. that uh, transformed me personally. Mm-hmm. And uh, in that moment, I mean, I've talked yeah. to you several times about this, uh, was actually helpful. I mean, that, yeah. that, that was a, a teaching moment for me as we talked and then later mm-hmm. as we, we began to meet. Uh, just to understand better, uh, you know, because again, I think one of the things, Jeff, I'd love for you to speak into this, having been in a in a academic context here, even as a pastor for 17 years at, at a Christian college, that um, it's is really you can teach only so much, and uh, young people, all of us have to experience it to learn it. Does that make sense? You know, right. it's almost like yeah. you have to go through the hard mm-hmm. time. Yep. to learn the lessons. But what's the best we can do? I mean, given that they will have to experience disorienting dilemmas or crucibles uh, for them to really be transformed, it's not just academic. I mean, what's your what's the best we can do in preparing young people for ministry? Well, I think you have to talk about it, and that's the first mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. So, so they're realistic yes, in their expectations. They're realistic yeah. expectations. And so, like, now, how do you keep it from being discouraging? You are going to face a hard yeah. time. It's going to be horrible. It's going to be hard. Well, you, that's the way you frame it up. So, <laughs> yeah, okay. You so the way I said it, it would not way. be that's probably recommended. Sometimes it needs to be said that way, but go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. But, well, what I thought of is, yeah. you know, Phil and I worked together to help develop the spiritual formation course yeah. that's now kind of core for all the freshmen, at, and you've spoken in one of those mm-hmm. classes before. Mm-hmm. So the idea there was to help students understand what is this process of formation in our lives. This is for all every believer, not just leaders. Mm-hmm. But um, when you have that, you know, have those experiences, what, they're going to come. And that was one of the things mm-hmm. the class was about: is yeah. saying you're going to walk into some situations, you're going to have struggles and difficulties. The enemy's going to attack. Be aware of this. It's, this is not just a doomsday talk. We're saying be aware so that you can be ready. And here are ways that you build up your spiritual self so mm-hmm. that you're ready when those attacks come, when those difficulties come, and you have ways of processing it and walking through it. Now, in many ways, we knew as we're teaching it and standing up there saying this, mm-hmm. we know the students are, it's going in one Yeah, their eyes are glossy. They're writing and, yeah. it on the notes, but it's not yeah. really Yeah, but hopefully they'll remember yet. it when yeah, they go through exactly. it. You know, I mean, I, I, I always talk about how our theology matters the most when we're yep. needing it. You know? yep. uh, when we're going through a hard time, what we believe is what surfaces. And yep. so having that, those assumptions about ministry, mm-hmm. are th- I think, are some of the things that we can, we can lay out. Yeah. So, and then modeling it, I think, mm-hmm. is, again, what, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's one good. of the points yeah. of it. Yeah, and giving, you know, for us, when we do have opportunities to speak yep. to students, or even people early in ministry, and say, hey, this is what I've gone through, but yep. uh, this is a, a story of grace, of mercy. I mean, God's been mm-hmm. faithful and kind mm-hmm. to us. You look at Peter and James, the way they word uh, the, the you know the descriptions of, of uh, trials. You know, don't be surprised when you face trials of many kinds. Mm-hmm. And then James says, consider it joy mm-hmm. when whenever you you face trials mm-hmm. of many kinds. And uh, and that that was preparing the church. You know, that was, James mm-hmm. was speaking to the diaspora, the people that had been persecuted and spread out. It's like, yeah, this is what comes with following Christ. Mm-hmm. And that's a message for whether you're in ministry or not in ministry. Mm-hmm. Following Christ is going to put you into, mm-hmm. some, into some tough places. Phil, you, you use yeah. this phrase a lot that uh, crucibles or disorienting dilemmas, the two yeah. phrases you've already used, either uh, threaten or redirect someone's call. Explain yeah. that. Um, 
we don't have time to talk about the nature of vocation altogether, mm-hmm. other than the the word when it's used biblically and and otherwise has to do with um, a sense of of call mm-hmm. from upstate New York. So C A L L. Need to spell it. Um, it's, I asked you earlier if you wanted yeah. some coffee, coffee, and you totally ignored me. <laughs> you didn't say it right. Um, but there's a there's a, a, a there is in us, and I think ultimately this is something, it's a quality that is from God for those mm. of us that are Christ followers, um, that uh, there is this sense of trajectory in our life of the contribution that we're going to make. Um, and ultimately it's for the sake of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And I think we're, we're wired with that as, again, faith followers mm. of Christ. Um, that's an orienting quality. It's it's the North Star in a sense. It's mm. what it uh, to use Steve Garber's question. It answers the question: Why wh- why do you get up in the morning? Mm. That's that's a sense of vocation. Mm. Um, I say to students, if you if you answer the question, why do I get up in the morning, with the phrase because I have an eight o'clock or an eight thirty class, <laughs> that's not the right answer. Mm. Um, and, you know, understandably, that's why they do get up. But there's this bigger thing, this thing that I must do, this thing that I cannot not do. That's vocation, mm-hmm. loosely interpreted, I think. It's more transcendent in a way, isn't it? I think question? so. And, and But it comes from within. Yeah. It comes, it's, it's in, it is in, excuse me, it is in us. Vocation, on one hand, I think, again, goes back to the idea of, orienting us it keeps us uh tied to the mast to use that metaphor keeps us focused it it is why we get up in the mornings why jeff gets up every day because he's a pastor and i'm an educator and so on um and uh yet at the same time these events so even when we're in difficulty that is often that that sense of vocation acts as a again a north star a focus, a sense of trajectory. At the same time, these events have a tendency because they do involve our self-talk. They involve mm-hmm. our imagination. They involve our emotions, our soul, uh, our, our thinking. Uh, these disorienting dilemmas involve our whole person. And uh, so they can threaten or redefine our sense of vocation. And to go back to the issue of resilience and community and relationships and these themes that are emerging for us, um, I think that uh, helping ministry leaders capture, recapture, redefine, affirm their sense of vocation is a significant um, factor in their own resilience. Sometimes that does involve changing location, but a lot of times it involves creating a framework mm-hmm. for response. Again, I go back to Jeff's example with Beth in the church when he was pastoring there, that, that it helps the church reframe mm-hmm. how they understand their role as a church because Jeff is reframing how he understands mm-hmm. his role as a pastor. And now, not just as a caregiver, a, a soul um, um, health 
uh, person as a pastor now he's he's receiving mm-hmm. that from them that's redefinitional yeah I love that. Uh, from so, so a vocational so, standpoint so being the call being redirected does not necessarily means change it it can mean tra- it's, it's transformational, transformational exactly and, and gives you yeah. again yeah. a new perspective yeah. Yeah. uh I hear I hear you talking about being motivated by the gospel. This is about the kingdom. Mm. Why do you get up in the morning? Because yeah. I, I serve Jesus. I belong to Jesus. I'm his. Yeah. I want to be available to him today. Uh, Jeff, what, what has this looked like in your life, what, what he's talking about, the, the whole you know crucibles, redirecting, transforming, threatening? Yeah. So <clears throat> another example, I think, of one of those crucible moments was when I thought I was really close to being fired from my ministry position. Mm. It was mm. going to be gone, taken away. And, and so it was this processing of, okay, then what next? What mm-hmm. do I do? Where do we go from here? Lord, if, if, if this is coming to an end, it looks like it's coming to an end, I don't want to leave, but if I have to leave, what, what does that mean? Mm. So I think that pushed me to kind of another point of saying, okay, wait a minute. And this is to Phil's point about vocation. My vocation yeah. isn't just this place and this right. job. Right. Mm-hmm. It's the bigger calling mm-hmm. of God mm-hmm. on my life. And it's for ministry. And so if God does bring this to an end, then he's got something mm-hmm. else. And so yeah. I was having to work through that and pray through that and think, think, okay, I've got to be patient. I've got to trust God in this and just wait. So my ten, my, my, I think my default was going to be, well, just, just then leave. Just walk away and mm-hmm. go find something else. So don't. Don't even stay around for the bad mm. stuff that I think is coming. Well, what ended up happening is that it resolved, didn't get fired, didn't have to leave, and it it all worked out mm. in the end. So that lesson of patience and sticking with it in that in this particular instance mm-hmm. was a great lesson for me. But it was also brought me to that point of Lord, whatever you mm-hmm. want, and if mm. it is something else, I'm okay with that. And it ended up being no. I'm, yeah. I really so going through that made right you more here. available to to the Lord Jesus. More open mm-hmm. to to the bigger picture. Yeah. yeah. And this brings back your idea of God's sovereignty and how mm-hmm. important that is when we're facing yeah. tough times. A quick example: when we left our church, we had a gap of a couple months before we knew what else we were going to do. Interviewed for a church in Chicago, and they they just made such a big issue. They're honing in constantly. Why are you not pastoring? Why mm-hmm. why did you leave? And that became the deal breaker for them. Mm-hmm. And, and that made me, it, it created a lot of self-doubt. You know, am I, am I washed out? Am I, uh, you know, am I a failure? Um, will I get anything? But, not, but then seeing how God directed us in his sovereignty, he allowed that disappointment mm-hmm. uh, to, to happen because he had something else mm-hmm. in mind for us, which mm-hmm. I thought was, was just beautiful as I reflect back on it. It's that. fascinating as I'm listening to mm-hmm. our stories, and I wonder if it's replicated more broadly. This mm-hmm. would be something also of interest because all three of us had experiences, apparently, where we thought we're going to lose our job mm-hmm. or we had or whatever. Mm-hmm. That was my the second situation that I had described where I was a, I was not a, in a I, I was a misfit for the mm-hmm. role. I, I was convinced I was going to lose my job. I mm-hmm. even asked that question of mm-hmm. one of the administrators before uh, we moved to Tacoma. Up it was up in Ohio, and um, I, I was very much concerned I was going to lose my job. And it was same pattern. What am I going to do? Um, I'm a pastor in a university, but I'm uh, you know I've got two adolescent sons. Uh, we bought a house. 
I'm in a PhD program, what happens if I lose my job? Mm -hmm. um, that was a transformational <clears throat> moment or experience for me, unlike your experience, Jeff, and this is why I'm wanting to mention this, because there's no single pattern. Um, I did leave. Mm. And um, I, it reframed how I understood my role mm. as a pastor because I came to Tacoa to the college as a pastor educator, mm -hmm. and I've had more ministry experience or opportunities with students uh, here than perhaps I've ever had. Mm. But I had to go through this transformational season of life where I had to rethink virtually everything about how I understood what my role was um, as a ministry leader. Mm. I think this is real important for, I think, for other leaders to hear, your situation especially, because when you came to that point, that you could have said, well, I, I must not be cut out for right. ministry. Yeah. And so if you connected vocation to your particular location mm -hmm. and your job right there, said, well, I need to just leave and go do something else and be a truck driver right. or whatever. Right. Yep. But it wasn't. It was a refining mm -hmm. of the, the expression of your vocation. Yeah. And not, sometimes it's a different place. Sometimes it's actually in a different mode. So for you, it was out of a more pastoral role to a, an educational role, mm -hmm. institutional role. Mm -hmm. And that ended up being the right fit for you. Yeah. But you would not have known that mm. had you just said, okay, I just mm -hmm. got to stick this yeah. out. God's put me here. This is what I'm supposed to do. And some, sometimes we can put those blinders yeah. up with this sense of back to the don't quit sign. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm not supposed to quit. God doesn't want me to quit. So I just stay in here. But, and we stay in a bad fit mm -hmm. when what God's really maybe doing in us with some of these disorienting dilemmas is moving us into what is a better fit for our gifting. And if we, if we go to our default pattern of withdrawing, we yeah. may never hear the, the, those others who would help us to understand more fully, to speak into our life about what God is yeah. up to and, or maybe up to mm -hmm. because we don't know. We, you know. we can't trust our own heart. The scripture is real clear about that. And for you, so when we, you opened up to those other, listening yeah. to those other people that helped you make that yep. transitional moment. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's good. We need to wrap up. I've uh, yeah. got a couple other things to talk about. Um, and again, I'm bringing up something we weren't prepared for necessarily here, but uh, someone listening might be at a crossroads where they're yeah. wanting to quit. What would you say to them, Phil? I was going to ask you to start with Jeff <laughs> on that one. Um, I, uh, boy, this is a great conversation piece. So uh, I, I think I would start by uh, saying to them, if they're sitting across the table here or in, in an office um, or at Starbucks or wherever, um, who are your people? Who's your community? Who, mm. who, who has access to, to your soul? Mm -hmm. uh, Certainly, we go back to the notion of one spouse. There's no question about that. But there's not altogether objectivity often mm -hmm. there as mm -hmm. well. Yeah, they're affected. So, they can be right. affected by what's going on. So I think, you know, we all need individuals in our life who have permission to speak to us about what's going on. Mm -hmm. And um, so I would ask who who's speaking to them. 
um, I would ask I would ask questions. I think more to real mm-hmm. simply yeah, to, to understand what's question. going on. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Uh, you know what? What do you think God's saying? What are mm-hmm. you saying to yourself? To go back to the notion of self-talk, um, I would start there. Mm-hmm. Jeff, if, if someone is it always bad? I think we put a stigma on people that leave pastoral ministry and go to do something else. I think we need to be conscious mm-hmm. of the fact that that transition is not always going to be bad and someone right. should not feel right. I mean I, know, I I'm not pastoring and I feel like I'm I'm you know very involved in ministry. Yep. Uh, what's your what's your perspective there? Let's say someone has quit and we want to encourage them. How how do we encourage them? Yeah, it it comes back to Phil's description of vocation mm-hmm. and calling and saying that God's will and God's work in your life can be in uh, truck driving. Of play. Yeah, it can be any doing anything, being anywhere, and and that's where you have to be most sensitive. Don't don't let other people's expectations mm-hmm. uh, or you know someone that's mm-hmm. painted this picture of your yeah. life that's yeah. supposed to be that may not be God's picture. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. make sure you're looking at what God's picture is and take time to consider that, which is. Actually, a good point for even that, that what you described a minute ago of the, mm-hmm. if you're at a point yeah. of saying, yeah, I'm ready to quit, mm-hmm. yeah. quit right now. Don't, you know, you probably heard this when you're a kid. We said this to our kids don't make important decisions in the moment mm-hmm. of crisis if you can help it. Yeah. Take time out. So take a spiritual retreat, go on yeah. vacation, take a sabbatical, whatever. Mm-hmm. Get a little time away to, to think through that decision. Mm-hmm. But it, the decision might be. And, and maybe stepping out and doing something completely different mm-hmm. might be exactly. Well, let's where not God's use the you. word quitting necessarily. It could not, be a transition right, right. that right. Transition. Uh, that God has for you. Yeah. Good. Well, one of the things we've done, and I just think it's it's hopefully encouraging. It could be a model, you know, for others to do something similar. Uh, after the the rec- the sabbatical interview that you and I did, we started meeting, and mm-hmm. I remember we had this conversation. What do we do with this? And we talked about, hey, let's gather. You know, five, six, seven pastors locally, and let's yeah. get them in a room together. We end up doing that. In fact, we've been two weeks into this, and we call it RIM, Resilience in Ministry. And Jeff, you show, you've shown up over over Skype or over video. Um, what was that like for you? And Because, again, my purpose here is to encourage this sort of thing, where pastors are are getting with others, that there is that community, that uh, yeah. intentional support. We did this. We've done this every two weeks. Um, we'll resume it again in the fall. Hopefully, there'll be a couple new pastors coming in. So, yeah, what what was that like for you? Well, when I heard what you guys were doing, I wanted to jump in, even though I'm removed geographically a mm-hmm. little bit and had mm-hmm. to be in via um, Skype. So, uh, it's a little bit more distant that way, and it's harder to build the relationships. But uh, still, just to be able to talk through what are some of the issues that we share as, as leaders. Uh, how are we working through it? How can we be praying for each other? Um, just that shared camaraderie uh, was something I knew I needed, mm-hmm. being in a new place, a new ministry, and having a safe place to be able to mm-hmm. talk about those things and hear how other guys are have worked through challenges in their own ministry. Yeah. That's so important because, our, our, again, our tendency is to isolate and just kind of try to bear mm-hmm. our burdens alone. Which is, is not at all biblical. Yeah. So uh, for me, that would the group offered that opportunity. Yeah. For me. And some of these, in fact, most of them came from independent like churches. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so this became their yeah. their support. 
And uh, yeah, I was encouraging the, the longer we went, the more consistent the attendance was. Mm-hmm. In fact, the last mm-hmm. time we met, everybody was there, which yeah. really said mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah. Um, any, any closing thoughts, Phil? Well, just to go back to yeah. that group and to return to this bigger issue of sense of vocation, some of the guys that are in this in our, our RIM group are no longer in a church setting right, as right. a ministry leader mm-hmm. um, and uh, or doing other things uh, yeah, one guy's fixing computers yeah. another guy works in mm-hmm. education so um, you know I think the what I hope would be a value of that is to uh, I, I guess I go back to the notion of, of reorienting uh, in the broader sense what my life is about even Though I may not be in uh, a church setting, or I may not be a missionary, or serving in Christian education, or whatever, um, there is still this sense of vocation. There is this thing, you know. We go back to the truck driver thing. Um, it's it's not about the truck driving. It's about what truck driving represents. Mm-hmm. It's sure. about what we w- what is the core. Yeah, it's what becoming is a metaphor it? here, isn't it? It, it is. <laughs> and it, we may use it again uh-huh. down the line. Uh-huh. But what is this? What does this give me opportunity to do? Mm-hmm. What what is my life about? As I am a truck driver or a computer expert or whatever it is that we do, um, uh, what difference does this make? Ultimately, for the good of other people, the common good, mm-hmm. um, and ultimately the the good of the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. There's there's always something underneath it, and that's yeah. what I hope that our rim group uh, continues to move toward. And, mm-hmm. and some of our conversations have been about that, yeah. and some of the struggles about um, this this transition for them. Yeah, and if anybody wants to know more about how to do that, we'd love to interact with them and, and give mm-hmm. them the tools. Uh, we've used certain tools, actually develop some tools that can be helpful yeah. and, and um, reproducible. Jeff, any, any closing thoughts? Anything profound you want to say to wrap it up? <laughs> no pressure. Uh-huh. It's not profound. Maybe this is it's simple, but I know it's one thing that's helped me, and that is... Uh, and I think somebody must have told me to do this early on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was good advice. And uh, just keep an encouragement file. When, mm-hmm. If you get a little note, if you get something from somebody that's appreciating your ministry, tuck it away. Don't just throw it away. Mm-hmm. Put it in a file. Drop it in there. And and every once in a while, especially when things get tough mm-hmm. or you're going through a hard time, pull that out and just let God remind you mm-hmm. of s- some people that have been influenced by you who have appreciated your ministry. And it's a little thing, but some of those have been the most rewarding mm-hmm, sure. and uh, redirecting points in my life mm-hmm. is to go back and say, okay, I remember now, this is what it's all about, mm-hmm. and this is why God's called me to this, and mm-hmm. I can't let this one incident that mm-hmm. I'm struggling with right now um, overshadow everything else that God's been doing in mm-hmm. my life over the years. So thank you for that reminder. Yeah, awesome, mm-hmm. awesome. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, thanks so much. You both yeah. did a great job contributing to this and really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Mitch. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Before You Quit podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email me at mitch at beforeyouquit.us. So until next time, stay encouraged and be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all of that hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged. 